0: Welcome to My Favourite Beatles Song, the podcast where we celebrate the music of the Beatles with a distinguished guest. My name's Tim Tucker, and today I'll be speaking with Jacob Balcom. Jacob is the co-host of the Werewolf by Night podcast, and he's also a DJ around Portland, Oregon. Um, hi, Jacob. Hello. So happy to be here. Very good to have you on board. Um, and I have a um a habit now of asking our guests first of all where you would place yourself on the spectrum of Beatles fandom from one to ten.
1: Well, I mean i, I I've listened to all the previous episodes and I like when you ask your your guests this <laughs> And uh, people seem to be kind of on you know rating themselves it seems like a little lower than they actually are. Uh, someone you know I'll say like oh, I'm a six, but then by the end of the episode they're you obviously know they're. They're a big fan, so I'm. I'm gonna rate myself a nine. I'm a. I'm. I'm a pretty big fan.
0: Excellent. That's crazy. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. The Beatles have always been a huge part of my life, and uh, I listen to them. All the time,
0: fantastic, and I'd love to delve into a bit of that because you know we're, I'm a Brit. I I was brought up on the Beatles because I had an older brother who listened to them. Um, how did you get into the Beatles? Because you're, I know, you know, from your age, you're not a first generation. You wouldn't be old enough to be a first generation fan, right? You that like, you came to them later in life.
1: Yeah, definitely. I was born in 1977. So, um, and yeah, so some of the first memories I have are of the Beatles um we lived in a little trailer on the on uh, a mountain here in Oregon called Mount Hood and um my parents had a record collection that i was really fascinated with even at a really young age so i remember maybe being like 5 years old and going through their records and uh, when i came to sergeant pepper i was i was really transfixed like i i just i was i was fascinated with it and so i, I kind of from that point on i kind of as a little kid thought the beatles were like disney characters or superheroes like they wore they wore cool costumes on sergeant pepper like like spider-man and and i just thought they were like an extension of like my disney records i would play on like my uh plastic fisher price uh little record player and uh like like it was music for children which i think is hilarious but i mean you know there are animal songs i mean animal noises on sergeant pepper there's a song about you know mr kite and henry the horse there's a song about friends helping each other So yeah, yeah i just yeah i i thought it was just i thought it was music
0: for me to me looking back because i wasn't i was born in 65 so i don't remember the 60s but i always think that album is when like the world turned color
1: yeah yeah absolutely i think maybe uh, another thing that's funny that i was thinking of, of about why i thought they were a kids band is that there was a uh, a show here uh out, out of portland called the ramblin rod show which was a children's uh, um show with this host ramblin rod and they'd play like old looney tunes and like black and white popeye cartoons and literally the theme song the opening theme was good morning good morning Really, and this was in the late '70s, early '80s. So I don't think they cared too much about copyright at, at, at that point. But yeah, so that—that's my. Yeah, oh. I know. So great, <laughs> but that's um, yeah. So I was hooked from a a really really early age, and um, my my dad especially was super thrilled, like you know, that I was into a band at such a young age. That was one of his favorite bands. And so I have really vivid memories of um, listening to Sergeant Pepper with him and having him kind of point out what the different instruments were, because I think, um, you know, when you're a little kid, you can't really differentiate those and so and he was a bass player. and so he was just, you know, would definitely point out Paul's bass line and just be like, OK, this is different from the guitar that only has four strings. You can kind of see it. So,
0: yeah, that's exactly what happened to me, my older brother in my case. And I remember I had the sleeve to twist and shout EP. And um, that was one of the first things I loved as about 10 year old. And um, I took it to him and said, um what's the difference between a rhythm guitar and a bass guitar and a lead guitar? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's all that. It's like an education, isn't it? And it's a great way to get an education through the Beatles because it's all there, isn't it? The the four piece, you know, um, everything about it is so like the template for a rock band.
1: Yeah. And it's perfect to to figure out the difference between a bass and a rhythm guitar because Paul is so distinct in his bass lines. He's not just playing the root note of, of each chord, you know, so it's really easy to point out you know what what his bass lines are
0: absolutely yeah And it's beautiful on sergeant peppers isn't it some of his playing bass playing is great on that oh it's so good how did you find that you fitted in there? was there much of a constituency of fellow beatles fans at that time because i've been talking with other guests about how the beatles kind of went in and out of favor through the 70s and 80s Um, and now of course they're a classic band but but uh, at that time there was they were sort of out of fashion for a while in the 70s and then the 80s they kind of came back a bit later what was it like where you were?
1: Well, for me, I mean, I never I never dipped in and out. I was always a super fan. And I had friends, um, you know, I didn't have friends that were super into them until maybe about middle school, early high school, and I found other people that were as into them as I was, because by high school, I was searching out bootlegs because when I, I had a real clear memory of my dad describing Uh, going to a record store in in minneapolis minnesota it was called the electric fetus (laughs) and it was like the 60s hippie record store it's still there actually but he would he would tell me that there were uh that there were these records that were like under the counter that you could buy that were just blank sleeves and on the inside would be he he described it to me as as like you know different beatles songs and then you'd hear them talking in between and so that just totally fascinated me. And so I had to go and 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 search those out. And I ended up trying to find bootlegs. Yeah, right around the end of middle school, beginning of um beginning of high school. And I, I realized that the album that he was talking about was called uh Sweet Apple Tracks. I think it's the very I think it's the first Beatles bootleg. And it's mostly uh Twickenham sessions with a little bit of the Apple um sessions from Let It Be.
0: Now I have to ask because I know that, that Sergeant Pepper um, by Sergeant Pepper I think the u s and uk albums were in sync weren't they pretty much from then on yeah' but did you did you first listen to the earlier albums in the u s version or the uk version just out of interest
1: uh, I think probably the u s versions because mm. um you know my parents had most of the albums and they they would have had the the u s versions but i remember that you know light bulb going off when i looked and and saw like the uk version of revolver and i was just like what are these other songs like like i think it's and your bird can sing was left off and Um, like all these yeah and so that was yeah that's when i realized i'm like oh yeah i'm probably missing something (laughs) something with that
0: choice of song is "Don't Let Me Down." It was released um, in the UK on April the eleventh, nineteen sixty-nine, as the B-side to "Get Back." So it's the B-side to the single "Get Back." May the fifth, nineteen sixty-nine, it was released in the US. So it's again the B-side. Never got released on the "Let It Be" album. I'm sure we'll discuss that. Um, but it was written by one hundred percent John Lennon. Even though it's credited to Lennon-McCartney, it's a it's one hundred percent Lennon's song. So, but what um, what was your reasoning for choosing "Don't Let Me Down"? Where did uh, where how did this come to be your favorite Beatles well, song?
1: Well, it was it was always in my in my like top five songs. I I remember hearing it as a child because uh, it, I think the first, uh, aside from it being the B side of the single, I think the first time it was released on an album here was on a compilation album from 1970 or 71. It's called Hey Jude. And that was uh, the yeah, the B sides and, and my parents had that and I and I remember listening ah, to that.
0: And it's quite a mix that album, isn't it? Because it's got things from much earlier albums as well, isn't it? That yeah, I've never a, it's found a str-
1: it's a really strange record. Like I, <laughs> I I mean, I have nostalgic, you know, reasons for liking it, but I'm not sure it's a very well put together compilation. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. Alan Klein put that together as right. a, a bit of a mm-hmm. cash grab, if I'm correct.
0: Yeah, yeah I would but, imagine, uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but um, uh, no, I always I always really loved it, but I think the thing that solidified it for me was seeing the first time I saw the rooftop concert, and that pr- probably was in the the original Let It Be movie, um, which you know it w- is hardly released over here. I think it was released on home video in the eighties, and that was it.
0: Yeah, and you, so, yeah same here. Uh, yeah, same in the UK. Yeah.
1: So there was a uh, there was a, a video rental store here that's still here called Movie Madness, and they had uh, a bunch of bootlegs and weird things. And so I remember I think first seeing Let It Be there, and uh, if I'm correct, the first take of uh, Don't Let Me Down is is in the original cut, and I think for me it was seeing that. And it was seeing all three of them. It was John, you know, Paul, and George all starting out on that opening line. And it just, it just, I have a very visceral reaction to it. Like it just, it makes me tear up even now sometimes watching that footage. Cause they're, they're all singing together and they didn't do that as much in the later parts of the career. And And I mean, as we'll get into, of course, the songs about Yoko. But when I saw the three of them singing that, it's just like, oh my God, this is about them. It's just like they're all just pleading with each other. And uh, yeah, so I've talked a lot with my my um, good friend and co-host Matt about favorites, about someone saying like, well, what's your favorite? And that's a it's a hard thing to do, and especially impossible. (laughs) It is. It's an impossibility, but. And especially like with a band like the Beatles that I've never stopped listening to, like it, it changes a lot. And so I, when when I was asked to pick my favorite, that one came to mind because it's the one that affects me the most emotionally. Like I get a very emotional reaction every time I I hear it or I or I watch the rooftop concert. And so, yeah, I actually didn't have to think too hard. And it's funny, from listening to your previous episodes, it's almost like everyone gives a caveat, like, okay, A Day in the Life is the best song. Like, that's obvious. Like, like yeah, or Strawberry Fields. It's like, yeah, 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 those are, those are the obvious choices. So, barring those, which, of course, are my favorites, this, this yeah, definitely, definitely is um, one that was easy to pick as my, as my favorite.
0: Well, it's interesting you talk about the emotional reaction because it is one of the most rawest emotional performances by John and, and the Beatles, but specifically by John, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, it's just a it's a precursor to what we would see in his uh, solo singles and in the Plastic Ono Band record, which is my by far my favourite John record. And it is. It's, and I know he was kind of into the primal scream therapy and stuff at that time, but it's, it's raw and emotional and about his mother and all this stuff. But... Yeah, Don't Let Me Down, I think, is, is definitely one of the earlier times when he just, he bears everything. And I think that's what's so attractive about this song is that, you know, I think we're so used to Lennon being guarded and and kind of jaded and you don't quite know if he's making fun of you or not. And so when he lets his guard down and is so vulnerable, it's just, I mean, that's, that's why
0: people love him. They they wrote love songs earlier on the Beatles, didn't they? Both Paul and John, but uh, so if we take John's, it'd be things like um, "If I Fell," I guess. Um, Do you want to know a secret? They're quite. They don't feel impassioned in in the way that you know this love song does, do they? They don't.
1: They don't feel personal. No, like they don't. Like this is obviously about Yoko. And those those earlier songs, they're they're almost generic love songs, you know, in a way, like from the point of view. So yeah this is a yeah this song is a is a revelation for John
0: It's certainly his first I think isn't it It's his first true love song as far as I can tell but it must have been terrible for Cynthia right
1: <laughs> I was thinking about that too it's just like I'm in love for the first time and you're like, oh God, you know you were married right <laughs> And from the first time that she really done me oh she done me done me good. I guess nobody ever really done me. Ooh, she done me. She done me
0: good. Yeah, and nobody's ever done me like she done me. And then, to, you know, all the sort of sexual innuendo. I mean... So brutal. We can kind of track through song how John fell in love with Yoko and what happened because if you go back to the White Album, which is when it first happened, you get mm-hmm. songs like I'm So Tired where you can tell the, the frustration of him not being with Yoko but falling for her, can't you? It's driving yeah. me mad, he says. But there's a, an early acoustic version of this which was because, of uh, you know, according to the record, it was first kind of put together in December of 1968. And there's a bit where he sings, I'm in love for the first time. Don't you know, it drives me mad.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very rough demo. Like, I, I know I've heard it in the past. And it's almost, it's fairly similar to the version that he brings to Twickenham on the first day. And that's the other thing that, you know, like, it's, it's basically the first song he pitches. I mean, I think he goes through, uh, I think he goes through uh, On the Road to Marrakesh which I knew as a child of nature from a lot of bootlegs, which would go on to be jealous guy. But um, so he kind of runs through that. I think they arrive at Twickenham and like Ringo's there and George is there, but uh, Paul hasn't arrived yet. And so he goes and, uh, and, and kind of sits down and, and, and kind of plays this real rough version of the song. And it's just like, ah, that's, that's what I have. And it almost to my ear, it almost seemed like it was half would become don't let me down and half of what would be john's part of i've got a feeling where he's saying like you know everybody and i think that's what he was saying in the uh in the early version of the first version that he brought to to twickenham so i mean it must have been an important song for him to be you know the first or one of the first that he that he pitches to the to the rest of the lads
0: yeah and actually another song that kind of crosses over there is the song Sun King you know from right. uh, which ended up on Abbey Road and and it kind of blends there's a there's a performance early on in January of those sessions where he's playing Sun King and then blending into Don't Let Me Down they got very similar chord sequences yeah. so yeah they're, um,
1: they're, they really do you know that's the great thing about get back about that documentary is it's like it's a it's an embarrassment of riches of a, like of the songwriting process like i had i had no idea that we'd get this intense of a look at the creation of of don't let me down i really think it's don't, it's don't let me down and get back that we see yeah. the most of
0: let, let's talk about that development because it is in a raw state when he first presents it. I think the first reaction he gets from George Harrison is pretty positive. He says, Oh, I like simple songs. And it is a really simple song. We should say, isn't it? I mean, there's only really three chords in the song.
1: Yeah. It's funny. George is positive at first. And uh, I think McCartney is, is positive when he gets there. He has a couple suggestions for John. He's just like, Oh, sing, don't let me down twice. And, uh, And John has a little part and and McCartney's like, Oh, I think that would be good in the bridge. So he's doing a little arranging at first. And I think that's like, you know, January 2nd, I think. I mean, it's like the, it's like the first day. And uh, so we see them kind of going through the mechanics and arranging of it. And I think it's on, it's on the 6th of January that Paul tries to introduce that vocal refrain uh, and they just, it, and it's, um, it, it would be on on the verse, like when he sings, "I'm in love for the first time," and then Paul has this thing where he's like, "For the first time in my life," and him and him and George just hammer away at that, like they just keep saying that it needs to be in there, and it's terrible, <laughs> like it's one of the few times that you see McCartney pitch a terrible idea. Um. and then it seems like the the less that john is into their ideas the more they start attacking the song like like paul is just like oh it's it, you know i, I it, it's corny you know what john is singing is corny but that's the thing and and surprisingly i think john shows a lot of restraint like you can see he's kind of seething a little bit it being like Paul is saying corny. This is the guy that's going to pitch Teddy Boy endlessly, like in two days. So, you know, Paul. I mean, who's uh, and I, of course, I worship Paul, but he's he's got a corny streak in him. Yeah, a, a little know? bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and so, and George kind of starts attacking it too on that day, to where he's just mm. like, ah, it just sounds like the same old shit.
0: It sounds like the same old shit. Well, I like the same shit if it's just clear you know yeah i mean I, think- what, I mean they were brutal with each other with their feedback weren't they and we see that they're kind of really you know it makes me really reflect on their split because at the time at this time you can see how tight they are that they can say to each other that's shit that's terrible yeah
1: know? but man it's uh, like uh, they really go after John for this song <laughs> like it's a uh, it was it was kind of shocking to me like Paul's Paul's like ah, it was all with that part's always weak on your guitar like you yeah. know George I think says after they run through it and George is just like ah, if we tape that and we listen back to it you just throw it away I honestly think a lot of that vitriol kind of comes from John not being into their notes on the song like they're like you know, Paul does a couple good arranging things in the beginning, but then they really just try to to take the song in a direction that John doesn't want to go.
0: It's funny because in the in some interviews, John has said that some of his songs have gone in directions that he didn't mean to take them. Yeah. And famously, and you know, we talked about Strawberry Fields, he's famously said that he kind of he didn't want it to go that way. It kind of went that way. And he's yeah, he he famously said to George Martin near the end of his life, you know, I'd like to re-record a lot of my songs. And George Martin said, what, even Strawberry Fields? And he said, especially Strawberry Fields, (laughs) Um, which is remarkable, isn't it? It is. It it really Um, is. But it seems that in this song that we're talking about don't let me down he has he does have a vision and he seems to stick to it he knows what's right and what's wrong for it and i think he brings the others with him in the end doesn't it and it is he does face that criticism that pushback
1: oh it, it evolves so much and uh but but yeah i mean at, at twickenham I think the the construction of the song at that point is all about John deflecting these bad ideas and just sticking to his guns and he's not being an asshole. He's just, he's kind of being quiet for John. As I think a lot of people have said when we actually got to see the get back sessions that John's pretty reserved and, you know, whether that's that Yoko is six inches to his left or whether that's heroin or, you know, whatever it is, but, uh, but yeah, he, he sticks to his guns in Twickenham and, and that's with Yoko by his side the entire time. So he's coming up with this song that is a plea to her and she's six inches from him. Like, like I don't like writing songs around other human beings, let alone the person that I'm writing the song about, the super vulnerable naked song. And she's, she is right there. Like, that's that's pretty fucking cool. Like, I was very impressed by that.
0: Yeah, and I hope I hope Yoko gets some reappraisal. I think she is because a lot of people are saying that she got obviously got a terrible rap for being the woman that split the Beatles and all that stuff. Yeah, but actually, we see quite a different sides of that, don't we? We see that she's you know she's not intruding. She's not you know she's just sat there with John. And the others are fine. Um, so yeah, I think I hope hopefully she gets a complete. Uh, I think people reappraise her her role. I think so. And I think, you know, John John counters George, doesn't he? He says, well, I like the same old shit. He says, it's <laughs> just clear, you know.
1: <laughs> I really loved that line. Like that was, I, th- I think that's about as mad at George as he gets. He's just, yeah, but I thought it was cool. He's just like, I like the same old shit as long as it's clear. And he's right. Like, you know, I mean, and and even uh, on a very simple level, Paul is right. It 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 is a bit of a corny song. If you, if you take it, if you just read the lyrics, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's just some love song that, you know, anybody could have written, I guess. But then when you hear it, like, and you actually hear the quality of of John's voice, it takes on a whole other level to where it's it's not corny. Like, it's the most sincere thing that he's ever written at that point. And it's, it's astonishing. Don't let me die
0: And it is soulful in that way, isn't it? It's so like we said, raw emotion, he he absolutely has to deliver it that way for it to work. And so there's quite a lot of the the run throughs in the get back show where you see he reserves himself for the final mm-hmm. recording. Uh, he doesn't let himself get to that point where he's gonna deliver it a full throttle because that's gonna that's gonna make his throat hurt or it's just gonna not be the not be the take. Yeah, so I think that like by that.
1: the time they move to Apple Studios, um yeah. A couple times when they're running through it, you know, if John's not hundred percent that day, he's just like, I don't know if I can do this because I can't get to the level of emotion in my voice that, that the song needs to. And I liked that once they got to Apple, you know, there's no more talk of that silly, you know, verse refrain that Paul and George were pitching so hard. And, and, but I mean, I think that's one of the other incredible things about get back as you watch when Billy Preston arrives and everything just falls into place. Like it's it's absolutely incredible to watch him, you know, his his keyboard lines on on Get Back and on Don't Let Me Down are just, they're amazing. It's like they'd always
0: been there. They played with other musicians and they've had session musicians and string players and sitar players. Yeah. They've had Eric Clapton um, on the album before. But this is the first time, I think, when they get Billy Preston, it feels like another band member's joined them and sort of fitted it in so well, isn't it? It's such a beautiful chemistry between the five of them.
1: Honestly, it's my favorite moment of the entire mm-hmm. documentary, is once once they finish that first take of Billy playing with them, yeah. and John instantly is like, You're in the group. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then you see Billy Preston's face, and he's like 21. And he was just asked to join the beatles and so i've never seen anyone smile as big as he did at that moment like it's just it's amazing to watch
0: um there's a quote from george where he said bringing in another party helped to make everyone behave there was no more arguments because Absolutely. you've got this you know and, and that worked didn't it it worked really well
1: yeah i mean there was someone else in the room so they had they had to be on their best behavior and i think i've heard all of them say that at certain points in in different interviews that And also, I think John also says later on at the Apple sessions, just like Billy, you're giving us a lift. You're lifting us up with this. Like they're just his his musicianship is taking them to that next level.
0: John's delighted, isn't he? That's the other thing is as well as Billy Preston being delighted. I love that John's reaction is, you know, and he uh, there's a few of the um, takes because there's lots of takes of Don't Let Me Down, aren't there, through the whole thing. There's a few where he's whooping with delight at the solo. That's so good.
1: Yeah. I love that he he's so excited because he's like, I said take it, Bill, and then he just took a solo. Like it was great. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah, John is is giddy at so many different points with with Billy's playing. It's uh yeah. ah, like like I say it's my favorite moment of the whole series.
0: Hit it, Bill. I don't think you see the moment where they get that lovely instrumental passage in octaves that, um, that accompanies the alternative verse. You know, the. Um, yes. I'm in love for. Dun, 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 mm. dun, oh, God. It's, it's so such a great step in the song's evolution, isn't it? Yeah. I'm in love for the first time. Don't you know?
1: Yeah, you're right. We don't, uh, we, we don't see that. There was a few, yeah, it kind of jumps ahead in the evolution of the song. And, um, but you know, once Billy's there, they, they get that different um, thing that you just talked about Billy's solos pretty much set. And then, yeah, I guess from there, it's the, it's the two reversions that uh, that, you know, are so good. I mean, there's that first one that I, that I love that made me fall in love with the song and then you know, Lennon screwing up the verse is just one of the funniest things you'll ever hear. <laughs> like, it's just so funny his his uh his gibberish words <laughs> that he does. And then the look on his face, you can see Paul's not too happy, but but John is laughing, George is really laughing, like he just thinks it's hilarious. And no does I mean, they don't ever get like a perfect take of it on the rooftop. I think in the second version, John just kind of messes up the first verse. And I don't know if I think that was the point where the police showed up. And so I think
0: they were kind of distracted just to be clear. So the version that ended up on the B side of get back was recorded on 28th of January at Apple studios. And it's not the rooftop version. Yes. Cause the one that really struck me was the version. And I'm sure it's, you know, you may have well have heard it on bootlegs, but the it's lovely to hear it in better audio is the version that's on the proposed get back album that would have been mixed and produced by Glenn Johns.
1: Oh, I know it's such a good, so that, that was a very famously bootlegged version that's on sweet apple tracks. It's on a couple other ones. And uh, there was also a bootleg called Comeback, spelled with a K, that was um, a lot from those sessions.
0: I think that was recorded on the 22nd of January. Um, Yeah, and it's just a lovely version. And it's the one where John says, he tells Ringo to come in with a big cymbal crash because he says, I I need to get the confidence for my voice. Do
1: your thing, man. I'm doing it all the time. I can't keep off it. (laughs)
0: Okay.
1: What is it? One.
0: doing sorry don't let me down yeah is that what we did? i was just wow. into it. do a nice big for me you know to give me the courage to come screaming in i know
1: it's such an awesome note for ringo and it shows how you know how john leans on ringo you know even for his vocal performance and it just i don't know i don't i don't i mean i don't think people do it as much anymore, but. You know, there was some kind of disparaging and demeaning things about Ringo, just like, oh, he's not like the other three. And I'm like, no, 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 he is a essential ingredient.
0: I love his cymbal work on this, particularly. I think his cymbal work is great. Maybe it's partly because he was encouraged by John in that way, but he does play some beautiful hi-hat and cymbal work. And and the groove of this song is so important, isn't it? With, um, with the yeah. guitar... The two guitars, bass and keyboards, and the drums all weaving into each other beautifully. It's loose, it's not as uptight as some of their more rocky numbers, and uh, yeah, it's just something unique about it.
1: Don't let me down! I think it's a very unique track in, in the mm. Beatles catalogue for all those things that, that you just said. It's just this, this magical, alchemical coming together of all these different factors that make it that make it perfect, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's funny because um, in Paul McCartney's book, many years from now, I think it actually, I say in the book, he was interviewed for it, he didn't write it, but it's a biography of Paul McCartney. He says it was a very tense period. John was with Yoko and had escalated to heroin, and all the accompanying paranoias, and he was putting himself out on a limb. I think that as much as it excited and amused him, at the same time, it secretly terrified him. So don't let me down was a genuine plea. Don't let me down, please, whatever you do, I'm out on this limb. I know I'm doing all this stuff, just don't let me down, it was saying to Yoko.
1: Yeah, I mean, no one knew Lennon better than McCartney. So McCartney had to probably be a little taken aback at how vulnerable John was being, because that was, that was not normal for him, and probably one of the first times in there. In their songwriting partnership, where where Paul was probably just like, "Oh shit! Like this is this is a serious this is a serious track for him."
0: You're not alone in um, in loving it. Do you know the musician and singer Devandra Banhart? You oh, of course. Of yeah, yeah. So in in a a magazine here called Mojo in 2006 interview, he named this as his favorite Beatles song. But he says this is the most romantic song ever. Real romance in its purest form, with yearning and desperation intact. And what a badass solo from Mr. Billy Preston. Don't you just want to die when you hear that? Well, the song seems to be saying, yes, and I will die if you let me down, Mama. Because even though this love is fresh and new and real, I've been beat down by love in the past. Every time I've been beat in love, I've been beat down and I'm scared to love again. But this love of love that's before me, that's been sent to me, I ain't ever felt nothing like it before and I want it. I want to give you my all, my all. And yet the song is intimate as hell too for the Beatles. It's a jam and it feels real late in the evening, tear in a beer-esque, which means you've got a simultaneous heartbreaker and mender. How many songs can do that? Oh, that's great. Yeah, he's absolutely right. Yeah, the intimacy is part of that recording process, I think, isn't it? We see it in the movie a lot, um, that them in a small, it feels like quite a small room. Um,
1: Yeah, that was shocking to me Mm. (laughs) when, you know, you hear these sessions... And and they go to what what is Apple Studios and I'm just like oh my god this is just a weird basement like <laughs> like it's not very big it's not fancy at all yeah, yeah. but they seem to love it like they, they keep they keep saying over and over again it's like oh this feels like home this is so great
0: you know? I know especially as they'd had such a cold experience at Twickenham and they they you can see that in Twickenham they are uh, I mean it's a massive place and they're sat huddled in a tiny little like group. <laughs> Instead of like letting themselves expand outwards, they they uh, they want to be close, don't they? I think that's what you get from the Twicken. They don't want this lofty hall. They want to be sat close together, looking at each other's eyes. I think.
1: Well, I think, and that was the whole point of the of the the get back project was that you know they were going to a more live, more band focused experience. Because Mm. I mean, yeah after after finishing the White Album, which seems to be that uh, you know a lot of the tracks were recorded with not all of them in the same room or not all of them even playing on all of the tracks, no. you know. Yeah. So it was a, the isolating experience of making the White Album. And so, yeah, they wanted to they wanted to get to something
0: different. So you chose this one and I forced you to choose one. What other Beatles songs might you have chosen? Or what would you like to give an honourable mention to?
1: Well, I think from my criteria of choosing, you know, a quote unquote favourite is, is the is the emotional reaction I, I have to the songs. And the only other song that kind of makes me tear up is uh, A Day in the Life, which, you know, is just, is just so good. And probably my third choice would have been uh, Tomorrow Never Knows, which, uh, you know, is, is probably one of their more experimental songs, but is also just a perfect, it's a perfect piece of music.
0: Listen, it's been fantastic speaking to you about The Beatles and specifically about Don't Let Me Down. Um, How would you like to, if if people wanted to find out more about what you do with um, your podcast and uh, DJing, is there anywhere people can find you online or follow you?
1: Yeah, well, um, uh, like you said, I do a podcast uh, with my friend Matt Howell uh, called the Werewolf by Night podcast, where our first season we went through every issue of the 70s uh, Marvel horror comic Werewolf by Night. Where you were uh, a guest on a few of the episodes, yeah. and it was a uh, and it, it was a blast. You know, we just mm. we we started it and didn't think anyone was going to listen to it, and we ended up having a lot of people listen to it. And so, right. mm. yeah, we're doing a second season that's uh, not not quite about the Werewolf by Night character. It's about the other werewolf in Marvel Comics in the '70s, uh, Man Wolf. Uh, like you said, I used to have a lot more DJ gigs, um, you know, before COVID. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I've kind of kind of retired that uh, that that part of my life. which, yeah, for a while, which is uh, which is sad because I really, I mean, my whole aim in in playing DJ sets around town was to to turn people on to music they may not have heard before. So what I would do is I would play a hundred years of music chronological by genre, and so I would yeah start in like 1910 and yeah, just move forward from there. So it was, it was, yeah, it was kind of a, a conceptual type of, type I of love set. That. Yeah, it was, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, I also um, am a musician and songwriter and I have a uh, album I recorded a few years back. That's on uh, that's on Bandcamp. Uh It's under my name, Jacob Balcom. Uh, it's called, it's uh, called so long, everybody. So yeah, if you wanted to check that out too.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks so much. It's been it's been really great to talk to you. And thanks for for coming joining me for this great chat.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked me. I mean, I we, you know, Matt and I both love talking with you already. And to to talk with you about the Beatles is just it's a it's a perfect combo. So thanks again. <music>
0: Thanks for listening to My Favourite Beatles Song. If you like the podcast, please leave a review or rating as this helps us to reach new listeners. You can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at My Favourite Beatles Song and Twitter at At Beatles. See you next time.